Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves root knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You're listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You're listening to episode three with Dr. Momo Vojicic. Momo is a co-founder of the company Viome, a researcher and a keynote speaker. While you're listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought-provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Momo. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you have learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, episode three of Happiness 2.02 podcast with Dr. Momo Vojicic. Uh, Momo, time is a finite resource. Underline everything that you do across your life, your organization, your research, your speaking engagements. Why do you do what you do? Ultimately, what drives you at your core? Well, that's a complex question, John. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's uh, there are you know hundreds of tasks that are on my plate every day, and I have to prioritize those. And currently, in my professional life, my company is my priority, and uh, we uh, know what the priorities are at any given time. Whether that's a product development or product release, or bringing up new products to the market, or um, marketing help and uh, partnerships, and so on. So it's really, I don't really have a good answer for that, except I try to be as efficient as possible and use my time very efficiently. And a part of that is also educational to provide my experience to others. And this is one of the venues for that. Fantastic. And in terms of that efficiency, if you look back uh, just kind of earlier in your life where, um, you know, learning how to develop products and uh, you know, doing complex research and pulling together complex ideas, uh, where, where do you look back? Uh, is there a point in time where you pinpoint or is just, you know, maybe part of your high school or, or uh, elementary school where you really started working on uh, pulling together more complex ideas or it might have been in, in university? Yeah, so um, I've always been interested in research, and uh, I would say um, I was I was basically you know when you get a PhD in the U.S., you're basically brainwashed to think like an academic, and that means focus on one problem, spend forty years uh, working on it, publish as many papers and get as many grants as you can, and retire with a you know number. And the number is how many publications have you published? That's basically mm. what I was led to believe was uh, the life of a scientist. And luckily, and I don't know, you know, exactly the moment when this happened, but luckily I, I, you know, I was able to pull myself out of this world and it, it just came from talks. You know, I would say that it was a series of scientific talks where I evaluated the value of these talks. And I realized that these people are fantastic. They're smart. They're hardworking. They publish top level work. And yet their work ends up somewhere in the cloud that some people will read and say, cool. And that's it. Nothing happens. Meaning, um, the world doesn't really benefit from that research. And this is a generalization. Mm -hmm. Of course, research, you know, research is the foundation for all the discoveries we make and for all the applications and applied science we have. 
But I would say majority of research is done for research purposes. Let's publish a paper so we can get the, the next grant. So that's one of the driving forces that, that led me to this applied work. And the second was that I was very unfortunate to develop a chronic disease at an early age. So at the age of 25, I already had early onset rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, like all other major chronic diseases, and there are more than 50 of them, is today a mystery. Literally, modern medicine has no clue what causes it. It's simply, mm. you have it, it's bad luck, and let's see what we can do for you. And the best that modern medicine can do is to slow it down. So there are no cures for chronic diseases, and there are there, there's no magic here in terms of treatment. It's simply they're going to manage your chronic diseases. And so I was very unfortunate that from about 25 to about 40 years old, I slowly declined. And wow. by the time I was in my late 30s, basically this disease took over my life, meaning that from the moment my eyes opened every single day until they closed, I this disease took control of my life. I had to think about this disease for every in every single context, whether I was going to do something and if I was going to do it, how am I going to do it? How am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to treat myself? And how long am I going to live? Right. And so we have an epidemic of chronic, of chronic diseases. So there are hundreds of millions of people who suffer daily. And literally the world has created these two um, environments where the academics are incentivized by publishing papers and writing grants and pharma is incentivized by making money off managing your disease, not curing it, not reversing it, not stopping it, literally managing it. And so mm. there's literally no entity in the world that actually is out there to cure these diseases and prevent them. In fact, that's the most important part. So this kind of um, this kind of you know experience led me to think about okay, life is short. How do I make an impact? And for that. I had to become efficient. So going back to your original question about efficiency, I, you know, I'm not a very smart guy. I'm not a very hardworking guy, although now I am, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, I have fun, so it's not really work, but, um, but really I would say that I've, I've accomplished much more than, than an average scientist. And that's mostly due to discipline and discipline leads to efficiency and discipline means don't just go do stuff, you know, you know, in, in, in many academic labs and in my, my experience as well, you know, you just go and, and do a lot of work and pride yourself in working hard, but that can lead to frustrations and lead to nowhere basically. So working efficiently, there's a system to that where you document everything, you think about everything, you plan everything, you discuss everything, and then you do, and you do much less and you, you actually, by doing much less, you actually do much more. Um, so in terms of, um, your discipline, if we could just, uh, if I could go back to you know, your earlier days and, uh, a two, two part question, was there a time to as well prior to age 25 that you had some other condition or was that really the first time in your life, um, you know, that, uh, you had something that really was starting to impact your life uh, or did you have something earlier in your childhood too as well? No, I mean, in my childhood, I had malnutrition, but that's not a disease. That's just lack of food. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah, I understand there. Then in terms of discipline, uh, when did you start developing that? Was that part of uh, your high school years early on in your life? Or is it really as a function of, you know, this, this moment in time in your yeah. life that you see your body starting to, you know, not go the way that you'd like, and now you have to find new efficiencies? Yeah, so, so professional discipline, I really developed, started developing after my second year of graduate school. So 
Um, I literally spent 12 months working extraordinarily hard. I mean, extraordinarily hard as a graduate student. And after that 12 months, you know, I was playing basketball with some friends and they said, hey, you know, they were not scientists. And they said, hey, what have you discovered today? And that was really a profound question. I said, well, I didn't really discover today much. And that was sort of the end of the conversation. But then walking home, I realized, you know, this whole year, I have worked so hard and I have nothing to show for it. I literally have nothing to show for it. Mm. And I said, you know, I, I don't want to spend the next 40 years researching and have nothing to show for it. And so really that was sort of the start of, hey, I really need to get organized and I really need to get disciplined and I need to write everything down and systematically approach a problem. And so in the following three years of my graduate school, I did really well. I, um, I, did, I did, you know, better than most. And, and that was mostly through, through discipline. You know, I didn't work weekends and I went on vacation, unlike most other graduate students, and I still accomplished a lot and it was through discipline. So let's, let's spend just a little bit of time, you know, on discipline. Um, there's several little layers of discipline, but basically the bottom line concept is that you need to record everything. Every meeting that's held, you need to record it and, you know, what was concluded so that mm. we don't have meetings on top of meetings that we already discussed. So everything needs to be concluded. And most importantly, outcomes. We need to have actions from every meeting and every discussion. There has to be action items. And so we can't just be talking about stuff and then we say, cool, that was a cool meeting. No, we have to have very specific actions and we have to have them assigned to specific people with specific deadlines. If you don't do that, nothing gets done. And so uh, this is essentially... Uh, project management 101, but, you know, I've worked with a lot of project managers that just love to talk and love to talk and love to talk, but a, an efficient and disciplined project manager, and anyone can be a project manager. I'm a project manager and I don't have any official, you know, formal education for that, but it's very simple. You collect information, you set goals and you figure out who's going to get you to those goals and what needs to be done. It's very simple conceptually, and you just execute it and you'll make some mistakes but, you know, and, and most often, actually, if, you know, we make very ambitious goals, which means that most often the deadlines slide, but they slide very little. And overall, we're very happy with our uh, timelines. Hmm, absolutely tremendous. And so it's really those processes that uh, you've been able to refine over time and also that lens to know, you know, is, you know, if you're working with a project manager or working with a, you know, a very tight team, do they have that right skill set and, you know, kind of the, the right formats for the meeting so you, you're delivering results uh, as rapidly as possible? Um, you talked about uh, uh, basketball as one of uh, the things that uh, you used to do. And I understand that you also do uh, hiking as well. Uh, you know, when you're in these, uh, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, complex meeting, working on products, you um, what are some of the things that you do to get yourself into flow state or kind of peak state uh, to really offset those points uh, in time where uh, it's really, really kind of crunch time? Yeah. So, so it depends, you know? Um, so yeah, when I was an academic, it was a very stressful environment. It was, you know, 50% of my time was spent writing grants and, um, and, you know, funding was always, always, always an issue, just always, even right the day after you get a grant, you still have to immediately think about the next grant and so on. So during those times that were very, you know, uh, anxious and, and, and stressful, I took up photography and outdoors. Well, I, I was already an outdoorsman and a photographer, but this was my 
this was my uh, go-to thing on the weekends to sort of reset my mind. And I'll tell you one more thing that's really, really, that really helped me in the past life was board games. So not board mm-hmm. games like, you know, simple board games that rely mostly on luck, but like strategy board games that are very complex that take, you know, one to three hours to complete with some competitive friends. If you are really stressed during the week on a Friday evening, you organize a potluck dinner with your great friends, and then you do one of these board games, you know, whatever frustration and stress you had on Friday at 5 p.m., uh, you know, Saturday morning, you wake up and you think to yourself, why did I even get worried about that? There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. It's yeah. all reset. So so that was that was in my past academic life for 12 years, which was very tough at times. Now that I'm an entrepreneur and we're running a company, I really don't need any more distractions. You know, my, you know, I, I basically retired for all practical reasons when I left academia because now I work seven days a week, you know, 14 to 18 hours a day, but it never feels like work. Never, never. I'm just eager. And so the only thing I absolutely um, worry about and, and focus on is getting enough sleep. If I get enough sleep, my next, my, that day is just so fun and so exciting. <laughs> I cannot wait to get things done. You know, if I don't get enough sleep, then, you know, depending on how little sleep I got, you know, my day can be, you know, uh, you know, not as exciting. So that's the only thing I worry about is eating well. And so I don't know if you know, but I'm, uh, you know, my whole family is mostly vegan. So we are, most of our meals are hundred percent vegan and, uh, and we really enjoy cooking. And that's, that's a, that's another thing that's sort of meditative for us. And we enjoy eating fantastic food at home. So those are all, those all help. Yeah, absolutely tremendous. Uh, if you could describe to the audience too, just in terms of your breathing, when you're in these states, you're working on these incredible uh, projects, you're building this amazing company. Um, how does your breathing change or have you noticed the change over time uh, in terms of uh, your breathing? Yeah, I don't actually. I'm sorry. But, during, you know, while I'm working, I'm really focused on work. And, you know, luckily, my my brain is breathing for me. <laughs> Obviously, when I'm outdoors, so I, I walk you know, I walk slash hike slash run five to seven miles a day, seven days a wow. week. Wow. Um, Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, but you know, I do it in the context of with my work buddies, uh, sometimes with family on the weekends with the family mostly, but, uh, during the five days, mostly with the work buddies. And I mean, that's just another aspect where we essentially get work done and talk about executive decisions and product development and all the strategic decisions for the company. Yet we walk close, we average close to four miles an hour while we're walking and then we do some runs. And so during that time, of course, you have to think about breathing. So we focus on breathing. And, you know, I, I, I tell everyone here now that I'm in Seattle that now breathing doesn't seem to be a problem anymore. Uh, now the muscles are the ones that give up first. Whereas, uh, you know, I lived in uh, New Mexico at 7,200 feet just yeah. in years and there breathing was really hard. That was the first thing that you run out of is air when you're exercising. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, have you, you moved to Seattle? Is that correct? Yeah, just a month ago. Just a month ago. Absolutely amazing. Um, can you share a little bit more about some of your, uh, you know, kind of your daily practices that uh, help you to maintain happiness and well-being? You talked about, um, you, know, ve- uh, you know, being vegan. Uh, some other small things in terms of sleep uh, that, um, you, that you keep as part of a daily or weekly practice. Yeah. Yeah. So sleep, like I said, is important. Absolutely. You know, seven and a half of uh, seven and a half hours of sleep. It, when I get seven and a half hours, that's like absolutely perfect. Sometimes I'll get eight. Sometimes I'll get seven, but about seven and a half is perfect. 
Um, that's important. The second thing is that's important is exercise. Um, so I don't sacrifice on that. And then food. I mean, food is just so incredible. I mean, even, you know, most people would say, whoa, being vegan, that must be restrictive. You know, if we eat a different meal, every single meal of the day for the rest of my life, I will only sample a very tiny fraction of what's possible. That is the diversity of food that's available to us. I mean, in my, in my house, we rarely repeat a meal because there's such a variety that's possible. And so, you know, we, we regularly cook food from every single cuisine possible. And so, you know, it's a social aspect because all three of us are in the kitchen and we're all cooking most of the time. And then, um, eating together and discussing foods and looking at pictures and so on and discussing what's going to be next and so on. So that's a very important part. Um, one more activity that I really, really enjoy and that's, that's healthy both physically and mentally is gardening. And so, mm. you know, I am, I am obviously at the professional level, but also personal level, very focused on the gut microbiome. And so going back to my statement that we have more than 50 major chronic diseases today, and we have no idea what causes them. How is it that Alzheimer's disease a generation ago was essentially non-existent? It was one of these super rare, weird sort of bizarre things that occurs. And what, fast forward one generation, it is today and for the last three years, the number one killer of females in the UK, right? So in one generation, the DNA of humans doesn't change. So there's nothing wrong with our genes. It's not like we became mutants and all of a sudden our genes are doing it. It's absolutely not. In fact, most chronic diseases have a very small genetic component. It is really our environment that's changed. And one of the most dramatic things that's changed is the overuse of antibiotics and preservatives in foods. And so we really have to understand that we are being poisoned. And the food industry has done a fantastic job of covering that up. So even though we're supposed to focus on this, uh, you know, uh, discussion here on entrepreneurial on entrepreneurship and, and young folks, this actually applies. If you do not have health, you can't you can't do anything in life and you can't enjoy life. So let's just spend a little bit of time here on on some of the egregious examples. So today you can get antibiotics essentially whether whether you have a viral infection or not it doesn't really matter if you go to a doctor if they feel like they need to you know make you feel better emotionally they're going to give you an antibiotic right and whether that's going to do anything or not doesn't really matter second if you insist on having an antibiotic from a doctor unless they're absolutely sure that it's not going to do anything for you and even then they may just simply not want to argue with you. They'll prescribe you an antibiotic just in case, right? And so that's one, one really, really egregious example. The second one is preservatives in food. And so the food industry has done a great job of masking these antibiotics and calling them preservatives or even cleverer. For example, they'll say to preserve freshness, right? Mm. So, or maintain freshness. I mean, wouldn't you want your food to be fresh, right? And so you go online or you talk to your friends and they're like, oh my God, you know, fermented foods are great for you. You know, they've been used, you, they've been used for millennia by humans and they bring all these uh, probiotics and live bacteria to, you, to your gut microbiome and they're really good for your health. And so you go off and you go to a grocery store and you go buy sauerkraut, right? And it's in a jar and it says sauerkraut. And you're like, great, I'm going to get great benefit. And even if you're careful enough and you read, it says sauerkraut. And then it says uh, it has potassium sorbate and or sodium benzoate. And then they say in parentheses to preserve freshness. And you're like, well, of course I want a fresh sauerkraut, right? Mm -hmm. But what sodium benzoate and potassium sorbate do is they actually kill the bacteria that were used to ferment that sauerkraut. 
And so what that means is they ferment it and then they kill all the bacteria. Okay. So now you're, you're not drawing the benefit that you're buying the product for, but there's actually much more damage that that's going to be done here because now you're going to be consuming that sauerkraut and you're going to be introducing those preservatives, AKA antibiotics into your system. And the first thing to suffer is going to be your oral microbiome. Second to suffer is going to be your gut microbiome. So this epidemic of allergies and asthma and sinus infection and ear infections, all of these things, right? And then the epidemic of these chronic diseases is partially due to us over-consuming these, these preservatives that are hidden in the foods, right? Next, you go to the meat aisle and it says all natural, right? Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't you want to buy natural meat, right? That sounds all natural, healthy, great, right? All natural in normal language means, yeah, that's pure and natural and clean. Well, all natural in FDA speak in the United States is a an actual legal term for food labeling. And what it means is that once the animal has been slaughtered, you cannot add anything to that meat. And if you do that, you can label it as all natural. You could have pumped that animal with antibiotics, preservatives, hormones until the moment it died, and you can still label that meat all natural. Wow. That's, uh, that's I mean, shocking these are, these are really egregious examples of how the food industry has, has, has tricked us into, uh, into buying food. And let me just mention one more example that's really horrific. There are currently 10,000 synthetic chemicals that are approved by the FDA as food additives. 10,000. That means mm -hmm. that as humans have evolved, they have never, ever had to deal with these chemicals. They're synthetic. They're not natural. So when we talk about autoimmune disorders, when we talk about weird symptoms that no doctor can figure out, when there's no medication, when you're suffering... Well, that's because our immune system, our enzymes, our proteins, our physiology, they've not evolved to deal with this onslaught of 10,000 chemicals. And so what we're talking about here is a chemical insult on our body every single minute of every day, right? So now, what can we do about it? We can certainly go and get organic food. We can certainly minimize, you know, meat consumption, which you know, and if you're going to consume any meat, you should look for, you know, organic meat and you should look for wild caught fish and not organically grown, I mean, not farmed fish. Um, uh, and then um, let's talk about gardening and microbiome. And so we as humans used to live with nature, you know, 200 years ago, our ancestors didn't have soaps, didn't have Purell, didn't have antibiotics or preservatives. They didn't shower every day and wash their hands with soap 30 times a day, right? They lived with nature. They farmed. They, they literally were one with nature. And so if we look at today, my company does this really, really high-resolution gut microbiome analysis, so I have an insight as to what's going on in our gut microbiomes. And so the average uh, consumer, the, the average customer of IOM has 338 different species of microbes in their gut microbiome. And that's pretty good. But if you go to an African tribesman, there's going to be way more different bacteria. Or if you go to an Amazonian resident, you know, resident, you're going to get way more. But, but the concerning part is that our customers' range of what we call richness, which is basically the number of different microbial species, it mm -hmm. ranges from about 100 to about 600 species. So that is a quite a shocking number. It's a disturbing number because 
you know, people who have 600 species, I am, I am at 515, so I pride myself at having a, a great gut richness. I have 515 different species of microbes in my gut. That's pretty good. There are some people with more. But if you look at a person who only has 100, what that means is that the all of the benefits that we draw from the gut microbiome that we have evolved to depend on, they're now missing. And so no wonder you have a case of a peer-reviewed publication that shows a person who had bipolar disorder, tried every drug in the world, nothing worked. She so, so she literally could not function as a human being socially or professionally. She did fecal microbiota transplant. She literally took poop from her husband and mm-hmm. gave herself poop enemas from her husband. And in six months, her bipolar disorder went away completely. And three years later, when they published this peer-reviewed par- article, she had no ex- no symptoms of bipolar disorder. She had no drugs. She just lived a normal life. What that means is that three years prior, she was missing microbes in her gut microbiome that were providing the chemical signals, the neurotransmitter messaging to our brain saying, everything's normal. You don't need to freak out at everything, Right. Mm-hmm. As soon as she replenished those microbes from her husband, she became a normal person. I mean, that to me is really striking. And so what we're doing to ourselves is we're depleting our gut microbiome, our oral microbiomes, and we need to find a way to rewild them. And going back to gardening, gardening is just a fantastic way to do this. And so we have raised beds and we garden, you know, for most of the year and not only do you, when you garden, you fill your nails, you know, with dirt, but, but, and, and then if you don't wash your hands and eat with your hands, you're introducing those microbes. But more importantly, when we pull out lettuce from our garden, we don't wash it. And it, you know, from watering the garden, it's, it's got soil sprayed over it. So you're introducing soil that way. When we put out, pull out a root vegetable like carrot, we don't wash it and we don't peel it. I literally, we just sort of brush off the major soil from it and we eat it right there. And so we are doing now what humans have evolved to do over, you know, millennia. And, and I think that that's one of the most important reasons why I was able to increase richness of my microbiome. You know, three years ago, four years ago, my microbiome had a very poor richness. I was down in the low hundred. So I had about 120 different species and I brought it up to 515 in four years by completely avoiding preservatives, antibiotics, and all that crap. And then by picking up organic gardening and and being with nature, you know, going out hiking and, you know, when we go out hiking, I touch wood, I touch soil. And when we eat lunch, whether that's a sandwich or anything else, I eat with my hands. And and that's how you become one with nature. And that's helped me really uh, bring up the richness of my microbiome. Hopefully that was not a too big of a detour. No, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and just kind of to encapsulate you, this amazing journey that you've been on in terms of, uh, you know, really going through personal struggles, finding new efficiencies, uh, going through this personal journey, and now culminating in an entity where you're actually working on curing and preventing. I'd love you to share more about Biome and Biome, as I understand, you're not looking at hundreds of millions. You have targets of billions of uh, helping billions of people. Yeah. So every single day, the way I operate is the only way to predict the future is to invent it. That's really the motto of mine for everything that I do. And, and so instead of uh, sitting at home and, you know, uh, reading other people's books and reading other people, you know, other people's comments mm. and f- you sort of putting out some philosophy and predictions about what the future might look like five years from now, 
we are actually actively inventing it so that I know what the future is going to look like because I'm going to get us there. I'm going to I'm going to make that future happen. And so I encourage all young entre- entrepreneurs to think this way. And I just want to mention that in you know in 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 the traditional history the governments were the ones to move the needle forward meaning they were the ones that were supporting the technology development and the moving of the world and if you look at today the governments are at best maintaining our society and in most cases they're actually regressing our society they're implementing measures that are actually regressing our society but look at what the entrepreneurs are doing look at Elon Musk There's never been an entity in the world that has moved the needle forward this fast and this efficiently, single-handedly, essentially. And look at Jeff Bezos, look at Bill Gates, look at all of these, you know, thousands of entrepreneurs who are moving the needle forward and really making things happen that the governments are no longer doing. And so if you're in your 20s and you say, well, who am I? Well, define yourself and and define a problem and say, I'm going to solve that problem. It's not going to help get, get solved next year, but in 20 years you might solve it. But systematically work on it and work at it and you'll get there. And so what do we do at Viome is our, our you know, my prediction for the, for the future five years from now is that every person on the planet or most people on the planet will have an app and will take control of their own health. Meaning today, if you ask anyone, will you get this kind of cancer or this kind of a disease? Will you get a heart attack? The answer is, I have no idea. It's it's a matter of bad luck. If I get it, it's bad luck. If I don't get it, I'm lucky, right? Mm-hmm. In five years, you will have a dashboard, like an instrument panel on your app, and it'll tell you exactly whether you will or you will not get any one of these chronic diseases like heart attack or diabetes or Parkinson's or anything like that, right? But that's only one part of the equation. The, the more important part of the equation is it will tell you exactly what to do in order to prevent those diseases. Mm. So it'll have a, a dashboard that shows you your current risk level and your cumulative risk level. So it'll tell you, hey, your risk level of heart attack is increasing. If you cross this line, you will have a heart attack. And so it tells you exactly what foods to eat, what not to eat, how to exercise, how to not to exercise, too fast or not too fast, and if too fast, which kind of fasting to do. It'll personalize personalize it just for you. And if you follow those recommendations, you will see in a period of, of, of months or years, and sometimes even weeks with mental health, you will see that your, your risk is actually dropping. So you'll have an instant feedback loop that tells you, hey, if I institute practices in my diet and lifestyle, I will not develop these chronic diseases. And I know that that's going to be the case. And we'll also have a longevity score so that you know exactly with your current practices, how long you're going to live. And so this is really where we're headed. And all that's needed for this is to just do it, right? So nothing that I just said is science fiction or magic. It's science. It's pure science. We need to measure the chemistry of food, the chemistry of the microbiome, whether that's oral or, or gut or vaginal vaginal microbiome. And we need to measure the chemistry of the human physiology. And we need to put them all together and tie them with mathematical equations and know exactly how different inputs correlate with different outputs so that you know exactly what your input needs to be. And that is you know, your inputs would be your food, your exercise, your fasting, your sleep. All of those are inputs into your physiology. And how does that guide your output? How do you modulate your output, which is your health and your longevity and your health span? And so 
all of this talk and all of this, like, you know, when we talk about nutrition, for example, you pick any item today, any food item, coffee, meat, cheese, yogurt, anything, you can find peer-reviewed articles that say it's good for you, and you can find peer-reviewed articles that say it's bad for you. So the information on nutrition is completely conflicting. And the reason for that is everyone so far has been asking the wrong question. And the question Mm. is, is this food good for humans or not? That is the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, is this, who is this, which humans is this good food good for? And which humans is this food bad for? That is the question we need to be asking. And so by asking that question at Viome and by understanding that we're all different and there is no one diet or one food that fits everyone, we are able to then distinguish the chemistry of people for whom a certain food is good and for whom the certain food is bad and be able to make these personalized recommendations. Does that make sense, John? Yeah, makes makes a ton of sense and absolutely amazing that this... uh uh, this technology and the science is, is coming this far. Absolutely amazing. And uh, uh, could you share too with people just kind of how it's visually represented now? I understand that you have an app uh, which people can uh, can go get and you know, literally have recommendations based upon their specific uh, gut microbiome in terms of foods, uh, which will help them thrive and get to uh, that, that next level of health. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, the, uh, the vision of our, of our interaction with the customers five years from now is very mature. The way it is now is, is not very mature, but it's very helpful and it's very actionable. And so the way the app looks today, and it's literally going to look differently a month from now, quite profoundly actually, but today the way it looks is that you get your test results, meaning when we test your blood or your, your stool, you'll get test results. And these are your scores that have to do with immunity and um, reactive oxygen species and gut health and um, uh, mitochondrial health and longevity and all those things, you'll get those results. And that's cool to look at. But what's really cool is that then you go into the recommendation section. And in the recommendations today, we group all foods into four categories. These categories are avoid, meaning never, never eat, And then three categories that allow you to eat food. One is minimize, meaning, sure, you can eat like one serving per day. Enjoy, meaning eat regularly. And superfoods, meaning eat as much as you can. These are really, really good for you, right? So we group foods into those four, and that allows you to go and and get recipes that are going to work for you or invent recipes that are going to work for you. Um, And then we also recommend very specific supplements. And these are uh, traditional supplements like minerals and vitamins, uh, some food extracts, but then we also recommend prebiotics and probiotics. So there are many prebiotic fibers and many different kinds of probiotics out there. Today, if you're a consumer, you have no idea which prebiotics and probiotics you should take. And prebiotics, while they're deemed to be beneficial, if they're actually supporting the growth of a bacterium that's actually causing you harm, prebiotics can be very harmful. Mm. And so you have no data to tell you what to eat. Whereas our recommendations for all of these things that I just mentioned are all 100% data-driven. And that's really what I want to re-highlight this chemistry and math. You know, I, I drove the previous discussion towards chemistry and math. I have a PhD in chemistry and I work with a lot of PhDs in math. And we really are trying to convert and have already done so all of this nutritional talk and all the nutritional knowledge into two things, chemistry and math. Very objective, 100%. So today, when a customer signs up for Viome, and when we do the Viome test, whether it's blood or or, uh, stool, the output of that test 
tells us about the chemistry, the physiology of the human being and the physiology of the bacteria, which are all chemical reactions. They're biochemical reactions. And so that's the chemistry part. And converting that data into all of these actionable recommendations that I just mentioned, we use mathematical algorithms that are very objective. And there's both domain knowledge built into them. And there's also machine learned models that are built into them. And we've published on this. And so Today, when a customer gets their recommendations, those were obtained purely from chemistry and math. There is no human being involved whatsoever in any of the process, and that's very intentional. We don't want anyone's opinion. We don't want anyone's bias or anyone's experience. It is pure chemistry and math. And as we learn more and those algorithms and those data are improved, we continuously improve. And so that's really, I think, where the world needs to head to is data-driven decisions and whether those are clinical or marketing or you know health or wellness or anything it really needs to be data-driven we can now generate those data and make mathematical models that interpret them does that make sense john absolutely amazing and uh it's kind of a continuation on that you know really you know data-driven as you Forge forward, I, I know that you probably have a whole host of um, different ways to, to look at the human body, the physiology, uh, mental health. Uh, what are some of the things that, uh, that viewers can keep an out for uh, in the upcoming months in terms of uh, dashboard or products uh, to yeah. stay tuned for? Yeah, so, so we just released our second product. So over the last three years, we've been uh, offering only the stool test. We just released our blood test, which both of those are first of its kind in the world, by the way. And Amazing. And you can see more about that. Yeah. So this blood test is basically, it's a finger pick based blood test. And, you know, one of the first questions we get asked, oh, whoa, whoa, there was this company called Theranos that cheated people. And, you know, they also claimed they had a revolutionary blood test. Well, Theranos was a fraud. They didn't, in fact, have a blood test. They talked about mm. it, but they didn't have it. They used regular blood tests. They were trying to develop that technology and they lured investors into investing in that technology that was never developed, right? The difference between them and us is that, first of all, our blood test looks for totally different analytes than theirs, but the second more important difference is that this is now a clinically validated and clinically licensed test, which means that this has a whole new level where we have validated and shown to the uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Uh, that this is a clinically validated test. We have all the data to validate it, and we just published a preprint on that. So it's a very robust test, and clinically validated and clinically licensed means that physicians can order it, and it's in the CMS system and so on. So that's that's a that's a very important thing. We actually just at the you know while the product team was developing that into a product, the research and development team just clinically validated our saliva test, which is another full profile of the salivary microbiome, and we're using it heavily for research. Uh, We're planning to release it as a commercial product in the next few months. You know, current soft deadline is by the end of August, but it may slip, you know, another month or two. And then we're already working on the vaginal microbiome test. We're using it for research. We've used it over the last year. Uh, but we we think we should bring it to the market sometime in 2021, maybe early, maybe late. We're not sure. But for you know female health, this is going to be very important for you know conception and pregnancy and birth and menopause and uh, you know bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections. There's just so much in UTIs. There's just so much, so many insights we're learning that we really want to bring this to the market. So those are all sort of very imminently you know. Uh, 
coming to the market tests. And we have a whole new you know, pipeline of other tests that we're going to bring to the market eventually. But those are early enough in R&D and research that, you know, it's not time to discuss them. Yeah. Thank you tremendously. Uh, Momo, where can people find you? So I am pretty active on LinkedIn. uh, So people can befriend me on LinkedIn. I also make a lot of uh, public posts on my Facebook page. And uh, I'm always um, happy to, uh, you know, engage anyone if they have a, uh, you know, sort of a revolutionary idea about partnering with us. And, uh, you know, the Viome, the Viome website has a blog and we are soon going to, you know, we have a branch of Viome called the Viome Research Institute. And it's been sort of in the stealth mode, but we're going to publish it's the, the first website about it in the coming weeks. And there we're going to be posting about our science and our clinical studies and People can enroll in those clinical studies and so on. Absolutely amazing. And uh, to to get Viome as it currently stands today, understanding that there's going to be a huge evolution over time, uh, where can people go to actually purchase your product? Well, they can just go to our commercial website, Viome.com, you know, V-I-O-M-E.com, and look at the two products we currently have. One is based on only the stool test. The other one is based on the stool and, and the blood test. And actually, um, I don't know when this podcast is going to be aired, but this Friday for Father's Day, we're going to have some sales, I hear, from the marketing folks. Uh, Momo, uh, is there any parting words for the audience? You've come through this amazing journey uh, where you've really gone through a tough time in your life. Uh, you've built all these incredible skills in terms of efficiency, which you now can apply across so many different projects. And uh, you know, really, you're setting up the next evolution for health and well-being. Uh, is there any parting words for the audience yeah. in terms of happiness and hope uh, in terms of what to expect? Yeah. I mean, in summary, I would say figure out what is it that you want to dedicate your life to uh, because it's a short life. You know, we live a hundred years out of, you know, 8 billion years of, of earth's life. We only get to be here on, for a hundred years. So figure out what is it that you want to do? How do you want to benefit the the humanity? Don't focus on money. Focus on how do you solve big problems? And and if you look around, everyone who has solved a big problem has also benefited financially. And so just don't focus on money. There's just too much focus on money these days. And money doesn't buy you happiness or success. And when you're 65, it's not going to matter how much money you've made. It's the experiences. It's the people. It's how much you've benefited the humanity. So think about that. That's number one thing to think about is how do you solve a big problem? Which sol- problem you want to you solve? Second, Figure out what is it, what tools do you need in order to solve that problem? Do you need formal education? Do you need informal education? Do you need to meet, you know, uh, team up with with people? Do you need to go work for a company for a few years to gain that experience? What is it that you need to do? And formal education is honestly not always the best answer, and it's becoming less and less so. The next thing to figure out is grit, you know, so this discipline that I talked about and efficiency, it's all about grit, you know? When you set your eyes on a mission and you believe in it, Don't take no for an answer from anyone and don't listen to the naysayers. For every one person who supports you, there will be 10 to 100 people who are going to be naysayers. And that comes from a variety of reasons, whether they're jealous or whether they're just negative people or whether they're uneducated or for whatever reason, just ignore them. Just stick with your mission and, and know that patience pays and grit pays. So be, you know, stick with your grit and then Surround yourself with people that are positive and that are in the same sort of an attitude as you, solving problems and moving the needle forward. If you surround yourself with negative people and you realize that, you simply have to 
make a dramatic change and say, I can't be with you guys. I need to leave. And you just go. You don't negotiate because when people are negative, they're just negative. They're just, in my experience, they're just temporarily you can turn them positive, but their negativity is going to come back, you know? So just leave that crowd and go with a positive crowd because that's how you get shit done. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Momo. Thank you for your organization, your research, your speaking engagements, and all the happiness oxygen you bring to the world. And a tremendous thank you to all the listeners. As always, this has been your host, John Tuckums. You have made it to the end of the podcast. It's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you're taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate if you went to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen.